Bibles, turn with me to the book of James. Uh, I don't believe we have kids' church today. Is that right? Any kids' church people? Pretty sure we don't. So kids, hang in there. Stick with me. Hopefully all won't be too boring. I think we'll be okay. And uh, so turn with me to uh, the book of James. We have been in the midst of a series uh, all summer long um, in the book of James. And our series title is How Choose for the Christian Life. We have seen throughout the chapters of James various practical applications. James hits home. He speaks directly to us. Um, it's not hard to understand the book of James. It's hard to do uh, the book of James. And so we are coming to an end in this series. Uh, actually, we will have one more week in the book of James. And so we've got today, we've got next week, and then we'll be done with the great book of James. What I hope to do uh, next Sunday is to give you an overview chart so that you can take home and see all of the things that James has laid out for us, all of the how-tos, if you will. Uh, so hopefully, uh, we'll make any promises, but I really hope to have that in your hands by next week. Uh, we are continuing uh, on from last week, if you recall, in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5. Uh, last week, we began kind of a real short sermon series in the midst of a sermon series called How to Outlast Opposition. If you recall last Sunday, verses 1 through 6, James takes the prophetic bullhorn and yells very loudly um, at these very rich, very wealthy, uh, unbelieving people who were giving the churches that James is addressing a hard time. And so he addressed the opposition. He addressed the rich. In verses 7 through 12, what we're going to see then is part 2. James is going to now address the, the churches. He's going to address the Christians. And he's going to say, this is how... How you respond when you face opposition. This is how you respond when you face suffering. This is how you respond to broaden it a little bit for application's sake. This is how you respond when adversity, when trials come your way. And so James in verses 7 through 12 is going to tell us how to outlast opposition. Uh, in his book, uh, the book of lists, Irving Wallace uh, shares various stories that are fairly interesting. And one of his stories uh, is entitled, This Famous People Who Encountered Opposition. And I want to share with you, I found this quite interesting, some famous people throughout history who had a rough go of it, who faced at a very early age some, I would consider, very uh, difficult Opposition. Uh, he says, first of all, Winston Churchill, of course we know who that is, uh, former prime minister. Uh, Winston Churchill seemed so dull as a youth that his father thought that he might be incapable of even earning a living in England. Well, you can say that he went on to do more than earning a living. Uh, Charles Darwin, of course we know who Charles Darwin is, did so poor in school, Wallace writes, that his father once told him, quote, you will be a disgrace to yourself and to all of your family. Now, depending upon your perspective, that may still be true, but um, nevertheless, he faced opposition. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, don't know if you're familiar with him, but he is an excellent Christian English writer, G.K. Chesterton. If you ever get a chance to read any of his stuff, excellent. Um, it, he couldn't read or write until he was eight years old. Uh, one of his teachers told him, and I quote, If we could open your head, we should not find any brain, but only a lump of white fat. Ouch! Man, that's harsh. And he goes on to be one of the best English writers ever. Thomas Edison, of course, famous inventor. Uh, his father almost convinced him as a, as a young man that he should label himself a dunce. 
And uh, to conclude, of course, the great Albert Einstein, his parents feared that he was so dull, feared that he was so stupid, he performed so poorly in all of his high school uh, courses, except for, guess, math, actually, that his teacher, his high school teacher, asked him to drop out of high school altogether. Um, And and I found this list interesting because these uh, men responded, obviously, very well to the opposition that they they faced. How did they do it? Well, obviously, they responded with what I would call patient endurance. They patiently endured their opposition, and they went on, of course, history tells us, to prove their doubters wrong. And so this week, what James is going to do is he's going to then show you and I how we can, like these men, these great men in history, how we can respond, how we should respond when we face opposition in our life, and particularly opposition from those who are unbelievers. But I want to broaden this. How do we respond to any trial? How do we respond to any adversity that we're going through, whether circumstantial or family or financial or opposition from the outside world? How do we respond? How do we respond? Well, James is going to tell us, and I think if you're taking notes, if you have a notebook, uh, by the way, there are notebooks at the Welcome Center for you to take notes on. If you're taking notes, we've got four points here. Uh, short and simple, four points. First of all, James is going to give us four B's. I'll call them four B's. Four ways to outlast opposition. Number one, he says, be patient. Be patient, verses 7 and 8. Secondly, he says, be content. Not only be patient, but be content, verse 9. Thirdly, he says, be encouraged. Be encouraged, verses 10 and 11. And he will conclude by saying, be honest. Be honest, verse 12. Let's go ahead and jump into the text. In fact, we're going to read the text as a whole, verses 7 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, read it with me. If not, uh, the text is on the screen. James continues, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brother, take the, brothers, uh, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And he concludes, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. So that you may not fall under condemnation. Uh, The first thing that James tells us, the first way that we can outlast opposition, the first B, is he says in verses 7 and 8, be patient. He simply says, be patient. Notice verse 7. He says it twice in verses 7 and 8. Be patient. Be patient. In the middle, he uses the word patient. He says the farmers are patient. So he's kind of hammering this over our dull heads. And he wants us to know that the first way we respond when there's outside opposition, when there's trial, is simply to be patient. I saw a bumper sticker once that I found interesting, and I related to it uh, very well. The bumper sticker said this, God, give me patience. Dot, 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 
right now. <laughs> and I think that's how most of us are when it comes to patience. And that's how most of us are if we think about our lives. When we respond to opposition from the outside, when we respond to trials uh, from the inside or from circumstances, we often are, are like this. We just want it to end, right? I mean, we just want it to be over. That's our prayer. We want relief. And we say, please God, end this now. <laughs> and so, but James instead says, what you need to pray is for patience. He says, be patient. Be patient. Uh, one Greek dictionary defines patience, this word that James uses three times in these short two verses, this way. A very accurate definition. Patience means this. The word describes the attitude which can endure delay. And so we're not getting what we want. It endures delay. We bear suffering. That is, we bear it and never give in. And I think that last part is really the thrust of the word. We endure delay. We bear suffering. But most importantly, to be patient means to not give up, to not give in. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, several of the families in our church went on a um, little getaway weekend, and they went camping at Raccoon Lake, and uh, Shelly and I kind of barged our way in to spend a night uh, with them. We just kind of said we're coming, and uh, they were gracious enough to let us uh, eat their food and stay in their you know, RVs and stuff. And so we, we decided to go. And uh, the second day, it was a beautiful day, and we went out boating. And so uh, I was getting ribs for not uh, skiing, which I was actually going to do, by the way. Carrie Todd. I was, going to, I was going to do that. But before we could ski, um, they were doing tubes. And so uh, I thought, yeah, that sounds fine. I, tu- I grew up on the lake, so I tubed a lot uh, growing up. And so I thought, sure, that, that'll be fun. And so I was on Sam Stoller's boat, and he was driving. And the little girls, I don't know who it was, some of the Stoller family girls were, the little, little girls were riding. And I thought, okay, it's, it's our turn. And so uh, Noah, I think he was here, Noah and I got on. And uh, here's a picture of what it looked like. No, I hope it's okay, man. Uh, <laughs> and so we were going, and like as I was getting in, it's like I, I, I saw Sam Stoller, and his eyes were like getting big, you know? And it's like his mouth was drooling. No, not really. Uh, but he was, uh, I think he was decided that he was going to have some fun with us, and he was going to push it, and he pushed it. Uh, I mean, we were going left and right and start and stop and water in the face and perk and jerk, and uh, it was a lot of fun. You can see we're smiling. Um, uh, but I fell off twice, and I think Noah was just being nice. I think when he saw me go, he let go, you know. Um, but we did pretty good. I think we did pretty good. But I kept on telling myself, just hold on. You know, whatever you do, man up and just hold on. And so that's what we did. We held on. But towards the end of the second route, as um, my strength was failing, I don't know if Noah remembers this. I'm sure he does. Uh, I was like, I can't hold on. I can't hold I think I'm going to fall. I, oh, my God. Okay, I think I'm going to fall. And so he's like, man, i got to win for a pastor. But I really, I held on you know, the best I can. And so, and so move on to the next one. Essentially, what, what James is saying here, when life gives us tugs and bumps and pulls us, essentially what James says is, be patient. 
Just hold on. <laughs> That's what he says. That's what this word means. It means just hold on. Don't give in. But then James says, how long? I mean, how long are we supposed to do this? I mean, how long are we really supposed to endure when people are giving us trouble or when life just stinks? How long? Well, he tells us, be patient, therefore, brothers, until. So this is how long we're supposed to hold on. Until the coming until the coming of the Lord. This refers to the bodily return of Jesus Christ. This refers to the fact, it's called in Greek, the parousia, if you will. Theological circles, it's a big theological term. It basically means that Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's coming to judge those who are unbelievers, and he's going to come to uh, evaluate those of us who are believers, and to reward us for our faithfulness or lack thereof. And so what James says is, hey, hold on. Jesus Christ is eventually coming. Hold fast. He then gives us an illustration. Notice, this should hit home to our community, a farming community. Uh, one church father, uh, who was uh, about 150 A.D., uh, uh, writes and suggests that James, the author here, might have actually been a farmer himself. And so if that's the case, well, you know, James is talking from experience. He says this, See how the farmer waits the precious fruit of the earth, that is the crops. He is patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. That was like the October rains and the April rains. And so he uses this illustration. Now, I'm sure all of us, when we think of farmers, the first thing we think is the epitome of patience, right? I don't know. You guys probably are patient, those of you who are farmers. But you have to be because you work hard and you hold fast and you trust that God's going to send the rain, the early rain and the late rain. And in Israel, remember, he's speaking to Jews here. God had promised the Jews of the Old Testament that if they were faithful, he would provide rain. And so a faithful Jew would plant and would do all of the things that are necessary. And then he would wait. He would wait patiently. He knew that the rains would come because God had promised the rains. He knew that there would be a harvest but here's the key. He didn't know when the rains would come. He knew they would come, but he didn't know exactly the time. And I think this is what James is saying. He says, hold on like a farmer waits. A farmer knows the rain is coming, but he doesn't know the exact day. He doesn't know the time. And in the same way, he says, hold on until Jesus comes. We don't know when Jesus is coming. We don't know the exact day. We don't know the exact time. But just like these farmers knew the rain would come, James says, we know that Jesus is coming. Notice what he then says. He says, repeats himself, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Notice the language is at hand. It's what we call imminent. And so he says, man, encourage your hearts. Establish your hearts. It just means be encouraged. Be encouraged by the fact that Jesus is coming back imminently. What we mean by that is he can come back any day. He can come back in five seconds. If you come back in five minutes. If you come back in five days, five years, five hundred, five thousand years. But he can come back at any time. Doctrine of the imminent return. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, encourage your hearts. Jesus will come. Be patient. Wait on him. Encourage your hearts. Uh, I had a uh, dog that my parents got for me in college by the name of Dexter. You might have seen pictures of him here. We'll have a picture of him. He's a cocker, cocker spaniel, cute dog. When I uh, went to seminary, I could not have dogs, and so he became my mom and dad's 
dog. And uh, my mom and dad loved having him. And back in the house before we moved, um, we, my mom and dad had like a window seat. You know what I mean? They had this big window and it looked out into our front yard and there was a nice comfy seat. And so Dexter would pretty much all day long, he was getting old and lazy, he would pretty much sit up on this, uh, this seat, if you will, by the window and he would await my dad's coming. Because my dad is a big sucker and like always brings home treats and bones and even feeds him ice cream. Yeah, he loves this dog, and so obviously this dog loves him. And so Dexter would wait for the coming of my dad. And he didn't know when dad was coming. He didn't know, you know, exactly know the hour, if you will. But he waited. He anticipated the return of my dad, because inevitably when my dad would come home, he would have something, you know, something good to give Dexter. And I thought, you know, what a great picture. James says, we need to be like my dog Dexter. We need to wait with anticipation. We need to look out the windows of our hearts, if you will, for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the first thing he says, how to outlast opposition, he says, be patient. Be patient. Secondly, he says, be content. Verse 9, not only do we be patient, but we need to be content. Notice what he says in verse 9. Do not grumble. Uh, Your translation may say complain. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. And so let me ask you a question. In your relationships, whether it be with your husband, with your kids, with your friends, with immediate family members, with people that you work with, people that you have decent relationships with, what happens in your life? It happens in my life, I guarantee it. What happens in your life when... There's opposition. What happens when you're stressed out? What happens when things aren't going well? What happens when life is very difficult? What, how does that affect your relationships with other people? Well, I'll tell you what. For me, I get irritable. Uh, I get short. And, uh, sad to say, I can even begin to blame other people for the circumstances that I find myself in. I can blame myself for the trial. I mean, I can blame other people, excuse me, for the trial that we are going through. And I think that James recognizes this. And so he says, not only should you be patient, but be careful. The relationships around you, when you're in opposition, when you're facing trial, it's very easy for us to turn on the relationships that we have and begin to complain or grumble or blame. Perfect example, well, maybe not perfect, but it's a good example. Uh, the first year of my son Asher's life, he wasn't the greatest sleeper in the world. And if you've been a parent, um, you know how it is. You have to do sleep training. And Asher was very hard at sleep training. And so there would be nights where he would wake up in the middle of the night, and he's a baby, and he's crying. And, of course, the parental instinct in me says, go get him, you know, cuddle with him, rock him, whatever. Get him to be quiet. I'm so tired. You know, Uh, just get him to go to sleep. But what we knew was best is that we needed to teach him that he needed to go back to sleep on his own, that he was a big boy, that he didn't need us to come and get him. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You've been there? Okay. Um, If you haven't, then rejoice. (laughs) Uh, But so we would know. That's what we would need to do. But under day after day and night after night, Less and less sleep. Well, you know how we get it. So 3 a.m. rolls around, and I remember wrongly thinking, okay, I'm going to go get him. I was the softie, and Shelly's like, no, we have to get him to, you know, we need to teach him. And I remember thinking, Shelly, why are you making us do this? (laughs) Shelly, it's your fault at 3 a.m. that he's not sleeping. It's your fault that I'm missing two-hour chunks. It's your fault. And I remember thinking in my mind's eye, wrongly so, 
I began to blame and grumble. And this is what James is saying. We do this. Notice the reason. He says, don't grumble so that. There's a reason. Why do we not grumble against one another? So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Jesus is here pictured, if you will. Uh, picture heaven, whatever it looks like to you. The clouds of heaven. And there's a door. And Jesus has his hand on the proverbial um, knob and he's twisting it and he is about to open up the doors of heaven to enter once again into history. That's the picture James gives us of the imminent return of Jesus and he says yes, you're being oppressed you're being persecuted, people are harming you so wait until I come back. Wait until Jesus returns because that means there will be justice there will be judgment. Jesus does not sweep things under, uh, under, the, under the rug, things that are done to us. And, but then he reminds us and he says, well, okay, be careful there. Because when Jesus comes back, if you complain against one another, he will be your judge as well. You see that the judge is standing at the door. And Jesus, when he returns, will judge believers and unbelievers. He will judge believers not for heaven or hell, not for sin, but for faithfulness, for our effectiveness in what we do in this life. And so, he simply says, be content. Be content. And so I want to ask you, are you getting angry at people you shouldn't? How are your relationships under pressure? Are you blaming people, people for things you cannot control? How are you doing here? First, he says, be patient. Be patient. Secondly, he says, be content. Thirdly, we see uh, in verse 10, he says, be encouraged. Be encouraged. What James is going to do is now he's going to give us two examples of people who steadfastly endure. He's going to say, look at this person, these people. Look at this person. Learn from them. Be encouraged from them. Verse 10, as an example, notice that word, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And so he speaks an example over them and he says, look at the Old Testament prophets. There were a bunch of them. And he doesn't name one. But generally speaking, the Old Testament prophets spoke for God, and whenever they spoke, most of the times it was rebuking God's people. And so most of the time, when God's people heard a prophet, they didn't really like him very much. It's not like he was really popular. You would see a prophet coming to town and be like, oh, great. You know, what is he going to say now? And so they were not well-liked, and they endured much opposition, much persecution, much suffering. And they did so, notice what he says, they, did, they spoke in the name of the Lord. They didn't back down. When they faced persecutions, it's not like they said, oh, just kidding, God didn't really say that. Okay, leave me alone. <laughs> they, they endured. They kept spoken the word of the Lord in spite of what they were facing. Uh, it is football time, and I'm sure you know, or maybe you don't know, but it's football time. College football started last week. Pro game, I think, starts this week. High school has been playing. I'm going to sing the Halloween chorus. It's football season, and I'm excited. Uh, and so I, was, I ran across this story, and I found it to be pertinent uh, to what James is talking about here, about finding an example of someone who doesn't back down. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard of the famous, or infamous, depending upon your perspective, linebacker who played for the Chicago Bears by the name of Dick Butkus. Well, he was a mean, tough Hard linebacker, which means he just hit people. That's what he did, hit people. He was mean. They paid him a lot of money. He was very good at it. Um, the, the story is told that as they were playing the Dallas Cowboys, my beloved Dallas Cowboys, uh, we had a pretty good, I think he made the Pro Bowl one year, running back by the name, uh, I want to get this right, um, 
by the name of Walt Garrison. Walt Garrison, pretty well known. He's a pretty good run back, running back for that time. Well, Dallas was playing Chicago. And to make a long story short, after running a series of several running plays right in the direction of Buckus, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do this. Most teams probably wouldn't do this. He was so good. You'd run away from him. But I guess Dallas was proud, and they thought, we're going to run right at this guy. And so they ran play number one. Boom. It didn't work. They ran play number two. Boom. This running back is just getting pummeled. And Buckus is getting more and more aggravated because they're running right at him. And so the third time, Walt Garrison uh, does a trap play and they, they go right at him and Buckus <laughs> just levels him. I mean, just smack down, levels him, picks him up and throws him on the ground as the story goes. And, and he said this to the running back, boy, if you come my way again, I will bite your head off. That's why we love football, right? And, uh, and, and to this, <laughs> uh, Walt Garrison You'd have more brains in your belly than you have in your head. (laughs) That might be true, by the way. Um, He didn't back down. He didn't back down. These were the prophets. They didn't back down. When they went in the hole and they got hit by Dick Buckus, they did not back down. They kept preaching the word of the Lord. They endured suffering. And so he says, look to them. Seventh character that you may have heard of by the name of Job. Uh, Verse 11, I think. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. By the way, we're most likely going to be in the book of Job here in the fall. And so, nice little segue. I won't share the whole story of Job. In short, Job lost everything at the hands of the devil and ultimately at the permission of God. Job lost everything, but he did not lose his faith. He lost everything, but he did not lose his confidence. He did not lose his endurance. He did not lose his patience. He steadfastly endured. And so I want to ask you, who is your Job? Who are your prophets? Because what James is saying is take those people, look at their lives, see how they do it. Know that you're not the only one suffering. You're not the only one being opposed. You're not the only one in the Christian faith who has ever experienced what you have. In fact, many people before have experienced what you are experiencing and they have endured. And so get to know them. Ask them questions. Look at their life. And as I think, I was, I was, as I was thinking this week about these kind of people... We have a slew of these kind of people in our midst as we speak. And so if you are enduring something, you're facing opposition, times are hard. Man, talk to these people. Talk to them. You know what they've been through. They know what they have have lost, how they have endured. Talk to them. Ask them how they did it. Ask them what they did. Let them be an example to you and me. So he says, be patient. He says, be content. He says, be encouraged. And finally, he says... Be honest. Be honest. Verse 12. This one is really hard to fit in, but I think there's a connection. Verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear. And he's not talking about swearing like cursing. He's talking about swearing an oath. Like, I swear. He says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. See, there's the word. Any other oath. But let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And here's, again, a reason, just like uh, before, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Remember, the judge is at the door. 
And so he says, be honest. Here's the connection, I think. Uh, Here's the connection. If you remember back in verse 6, James is talking against these evil, uh, rich, unbelieving men who are persecuting the believers. And in verse 6, James says that they were condemning these Christians. And that's a legal word, meaning they were taking them to court. And so we get the picture of what was happening. These unbelieving people were taking these Christians to court. They were using their power, and they were... Uh, uh, falsely uh, accusing them. They were falsely giving allegations. They were saying, these Christians did this. These Christians did that. And they were lying. They were bringing these Christians to court using their clout and money to take advantage of the believers. And so James here, I think he addresses that. I think he addresses that. And he basically says... Christian, don't resort to taking an oath. Don't resort to swearing when you are defending yourself. When someone is falsely accusing you, when someone is falsely accusing you, don't swear. Just let your yes be yes. Say, this is what has happened. Speak honestly. Be honest when you face accusation. And so remember as a little kid, I mean, we remember doing this, right? Or maybe we still do this. What do we say? I swear to God, right? I mean, people say those kind of things. When they are adamantly defending themselves, I swear to God, James says, there's no need to do that. Or just simply, I swear, I swear it. James says, there's no need to do that. When we were a little kid, maybe you remember, remember this, cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye, right? We would do that when we were little to convince the person we were telling that what we were saying was accurate, right? Cross my heart and hope to die. But then, if you did what? If you did this, what did that mean? That means you didn't have to do it, right? This is the kind of thing that the Jews would actually do very regularly. Uh, Read Matthew uh, 6 or 7, I believe, um, when Jesus talks about that. Uh, What the Jews were doing is they would say, well, if I swear by the temple, I can get out of it. But if I swear by the gold on the temple, then I'm bound to it. And they made these elaborate rules. And James and then Jesus just says, man, when people are accusing you, just... Speak the truth. (laughs) Just simply speak the truth. And so I want to ask you, maybe today or in the future, you are or will be falsely accused. Have you ever been falsely accused of something you didn't do? Surely you have. I have. All of us have had this experience. How do we respond? Well, essentially, James says, just be honest. (laughs) Say, this is what I did. This is what I didn't do. And leave it at that. Uh, I'm going to close with a story and we're going to be done. As I recall, uh, I was in first grade, maybe kindergarten. Kindergarten, first grade, I was young. And I was a very, very uh, shy, quiet, um, uh, compliant kind of a kid. And so I was at school, I mean, and I was just, you know, no, no problems. There was a young man in our grade who had lots of uh, behavioral issues. His name was Aaron Cochran. I remember it because he was bad. Um, he was a bad, horrible behavior. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure that he's in prison now. Um, he, and he's, you know, he had, he had a lot. It was a bad situation. <laughs> you know, he, he had a lot, a lot happen to him. I remember this story. He accused me one day to our first grade or kindergarten teacher, and he said, "Trey gave me the finger." That's what he said to our teacher. And I remember thinking, "What's the finger? <laughs> I don't know what that means." And he said, he did this to me. And I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> and so the teacher's like, you too, go to the principal. And so for Mr. Shy Compliant Perfect Kid, I almost peed my pants, you know. I've never been to the principal. I've never been within five feet of the principal's office, you know. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, go to 
teacher. And I remember this. I remember being so scared going to the principal. And so the principal was wise. And, of course, she knew our, you know, differences and who we were and our track record. And so she asked what happened. And Aaron said, he did this. And I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know what that means. And so the teacher said, Trey, go back to class. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, extreme relief. But I remember in that moment either swearing, like, either saying, I swear, I didn't do it, or if I didn't say that, I wanted to. But I remember being very close to saying, I swear, I swear, I didn't, I didn't, you know, that's the kind of thing that James is talking about. And so he's given us four ways to outlast opposition. Be patient, be content, be encouraged, be honest. And so maybe today, you're facing opposition. Maybe today, you're facing difficulty, trial, hardship. We, we can broaden this. Maybe you're facing opposition today, much like uh, the men that we began our sermon with, Churchill, Edison, Einstein. Maybe you're facing that kind of opposition like these great men did in their early years. And so the question is, we know how they responded. How will you respond to opposition? Will you respond like they, like they did, and overcome? James essentially says, you can, and you will, if you be patient, if you be content, if you be encouraged, and if you be honest. Let's pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks very clearly uh, to us.